BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome to 90 Minutes Definitive European Power Rankings, a brand new show where we talk about the 10 best teams on the continent. Joining myself, Sean Walsh, every week will be 90 Minutes Editor of Creative Lead and suffering fan of both Juventus and Derry City, Jack Gallagher. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, so, well, not great when you put it that way, because Derry <laughs> you City... Derry on in it? <laughs> yeah, not, not doing too well. Derry City lost two games in the space of four days, both at home, both 1-0 uh, on Friday and Monday over the Easter week. And then on oh. Saturday as well, Juventus also lost to Lazio. So not the greatest not the greatest weekend for the Jack Gallagher household, so it wasn't. Uh, how how was, was your weekend, cool. Sean? It was good, you know. Um, my team, Spurs, won. They're not in these rankings because they don't deserve to be. Yeah. Um, but I went to another game this weekend, um, which we will talk about a little bit later. Uh, pretty good weekend of football. I do like the Easter um, Bank Holiday weekend of football. I saw some non-league football on Monday as well. My friend was playing. It was just, you get four days of great football, so... Nice. What was the more. what was the team and who's the guy? Give me a wee shout out here. <laughs> my, good, my good friend, Bradley Clayton of Chesham United. They beat Hazen Yale United 3-0 at the Skyx Community Stadium, which is otherwise known as AFC Richmond's training ground in Ted Lasso. Mad. So Very a little bit of history there. That's cool. That's cool. Are you watching Ted Lasso at the minute? I'm not. I'm I've always kind of been umming and ahhing over whether to get into it. Do you know what? I I have very fond memories of Ted Lasso when he was in the was the NBC Sports advert for Oh yeah, their yeah he used to do years ago. Ones. Yeah, he did, yeah. He did it. He started with it was like a short skit with Tottenham um, in the summer that Bale eventually left. And it was this whole thing, like advertising how big the Premier League was. And they had a Gareth Bale advert in Times Square in New York. And then he left a couple months later. And it's like, oh, OK, cool. I remember that because I remember one of my best mates, uh, Ryan. Uh, he's a massive Spurs fan. And I remember <laughs> at that time, he's seen uh, that ad in Times Square. And I think... Bay was in the front cover of FIFA that year or something like that yes. as well. He was originally in a Spurs shirt, yeah. Yeah, and and he was like, oh, like, look, you know, there's no way that he's leaving Tottenham. I'm sure he's in this <laughs> big, massive screen in Times Square wearing a Spurs top. He's on FIFA and all, but little did he know 
it's really really easy to change the top you just have to do a bit of photoshop <laughs> yeah. and, and they're both white anyway so they probably just changed the badge it was easy it is, it is literally that yeah it was so spurs fans were kind of in these deep conspiracy holes trying to convince themselves that bell's going to stay um but anyway. That's where he's going with Kane now as well, Sean. Get the conspiracy uh, hat out. Here we go. Uh, hopefully we get to talk about Tottenham before the season ends. Hopefully we've got a little run of form. Yeah, but we're not going to talk about Tottenham Man City or Arsenal <laughs> or someone. They might, they might get a mention. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What do you say, Jack? Should we dive into the top 10? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so at number 10, we have Villarreal. And they're in for a pretty obvious reason. They're in because they beat Real Madrid 3-2. Um, thanks to two great goals from Sami Chukwueze. I don't know if you oh, watched the game or I, seen the I highlights. Saw, I saw the goals. Uh, that Chukwueze goal. Oh, it's the kind of thing you kind of dream of, isn't it? Especially at yeah. the Bernabeu as well. Unbelievable. And I love the, the first one in particular where he drops a shoulder past Nacho mm. and just side-footed. And it was such a nice goal. And they played really, really well in general. Like Real Madrid had their chances, especially in the first half. And... Uh, Vinny had one of those games where he just cannot hit a barn door. They're not as frequent <laughs> as he used to be, but yeah. they're still there every now and again. Um, so yeah, one of those games, Real Madrid lost, but they're not just in the rankings because of that one. They've also just been very, very good the past month or so. They're unbeaten in the league since mid-Feb when they lost to Barca. I think every team's lost to Barca, and they also lost mm. to Osasuna. And with like five ones in their last six games, they're really starting to push uh, for that last Champions League spot in La Liga. They're sitting just behind Real Sociedad by a few points in fourth place. And yeah, looking really, really good. They're hitting form at the right time this season. And they also don't have the distraction of uh, European football, so they can concentrate on trying to qualify for the Champions League next season. So, Sean... What do you think? Sammy Chukwueze, is he a guy that you would um, like at Spurs? Or He's always, he's always impressed me when I've seen him. He scored the goal to knock out Bayern Munich last year, wasn't he? That was it. Yeah, yeah, that was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's always looked a really kind of good tricky winger, left-footed, you know, those guys are a commodity. And I think one of the underlying narratives with this, I remember checking the um, La Liga's table a few weeks ago, and it looked like it was going to be a straight shootout between Real Sociedad and Real Betis for that final Champions League spot. But to Villarreal's credit, they've, like you said, they've gone on this great run of form. But also the other thing that's flown under the radar is they're managed by Kike Sessien, also known yeah. as the man who oversaw Barcelona's 8-2 loss to Bayern Munich. <laughs> so nice little redemption arc for him because, you know, he did a really good job of when he was, a, I think, Real Betis he was at. Yeah, it's better. It's that, really yeah, nice yeah. football. Yeah. I think it's nice to see. He, by all accounts, it seems like he's a really nice guy. So it's nice that he's come back into a kind of, a semi-major job in Spain, you know, Villarreal probably one of the six, seven, eight biggest clubs in that country nowadays, and it's really great for him. Um, there's got a lot, a lot of good young players there. There's a lot of ex-Spurs players there as well. Current Spurs yeah. player and Giovanni Lo Celso there. You know, if Villarreal gets to the Champions League, maybe they can buy him with that Champions League money. Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. Please, uh, please. All two fingers uh, crossed, toes crossed, <laughs> everything crossed. <laughs> Hope for the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Setien, he's been one of those managers where, um, and we'll talk about another one uh, at number nine as well, where, mm. yeah, like, it might not work at one of the top clubs. It might not work at a Barcelona. It might not work at an Arsenal. It might not work at one of the top four teams in England or whatever. But that doesn't mean you're a bad manager. That doesn't mean you can't do a good yeah. job elsewhere. And Kiki Setien, having done a great job at Real Betis, having done a great job now with Villarreal, 
that is kind of his level as a manager, and that's fine. And at number nine, we have another manager who's kind of in that mm-hmm. realm of being really, really good for like a upper mid table type of team, pushing teams in far in Europe, pushing teams up the table. And Sean, who do we have at number nine? With that, at in mind? number nine, we have Unai Emery's Aston Villa, and you you mentioned it there that. There are just some managers better used to punching up rather than punching down. Unai Emery definitely fits that bill. Um, the, where the clubs that he's been to in the last 10, 15 years, you know, I think his first major job was at Valencia. Not a, not like a roaring success, but he made them a kind of stable Champions League club again. Um, after going to Russia, he came back. He, you know, he made Sevilla the kings of the Europa League again. PSG, a little bit of a bad situation. They got beaten to the title by the kind of generational Monaco team and a lot of blame was put at his door for that won the league the next year kind of it sounds like Mbappe Neymar really respected him and it wasn't necessarily his fault that things went wrong there went to went to Arsenal after that again just wrong kind of fit and I think it was really whoever was going to succeed Arsenal Wenger was going to be it's almost like a it's a poison pill isn't it you yeah know, it's impossible you don't, you don't want to you don't want to be that guy no, no. Be the one same to... same thing with United at um, yeah, with Harry Moyes, Moyes yeah. back in the day. No matter who took that job, it was never ever going to work. Yeah. Um, after that, he went to Villarreal, won the Europa League, got his re- revenge against Arsenal in the semi-finals, beat United in the final. You know that's Villarreal's first major trophy. That is huge for them. And then leaves. To, he turned down a approach from Newcastle last year, as well. To his credit, he just yeah. he didn't kind of believe in that project. Said I want I'll I'll hedge my bets here for now. He waited for this Aston Villa job. I I was a bit surprised that he went for it. I understand that um, he wanted to maybe prove a point that he wasn't a failure in England, that he could come and do it. Um, Villa were just in such a bad way when he arrived. You know, they look at Steven and Jara taking them nowhere. They had like a promising start, but he didn't. they didn't really fully buy into what he wanted, which was just this full aggressive style. And... They just needed to cut ties. And Emery has come in and he's taken this. It's almost like a, like a weird assortment of players. They have a lot of talent. And I don't think um, the previous managers, Stephen Gerrard, Dean Smith, really knew the best ways to get their best players performing. But he's come in. Ollie Watkins, you know, I think we were, look, we were looking in the office yesterday. Um, I think he there's like a game where he didn't score. And it kind of means that he can't go on this Jamie Vardy-esque, Rude Van Nistelrooy kind of run. But oh, he's yeah, scored in like ne- he's scored like nearly every game this year. Um, John McGinn looks in much better shape than he did yeah. <laughs> two or three months ago. I, I love John. You, love, you love such him. a soft spot for John McGinn. Yeah. He's so funny off the pitch, but I, I just love his his type of play. He's one of those guys, um, and one of the ways I try to look at midfielders is can they play in like a classic midfield too? Like, could they do a job at like mm. a Roy Keane or something? Yeah. Did? in the Premier League in the 90s. And John McGinn's one of those guys that you could imagine playing in any era and doing quite well in like a midfield two and stuff because of how aggressive he is and also like yeah, yeah. how energetic he is coming up the park. And yeah, he's he's an, he's one of those players and like a lot of players have felt like he said, there's a lot of talent in that squad and it always kind of felt like they just had the wrong manager and were mismanaged. Um, I don't think Dean Smith was really cut out for that sort of job. I, I think... Like we were saying about uh, Unai and Kike, they're kind of upper mid-table teams. That's mm. the sort of level that they're at. Dean Smith is kind of like, you know, 
lower down the table and there's nothing wrong with this but like lower down a table and like a top championship type of manager yeah yeah for sure. and then going from managing those type of players to managing the type of players that he had to deal with last season was always going to be really tricky the egos are different the the expectations tactically are different and players at that level have their own ideas tactically as well and and want to be playing a certain type of football that Dean Smith was never going to go for. And then with Steven Gerrard, it was such a case of, I feel like he just wanted to throw everyone under the bus at every given opportunity and was never really, he never really <laughs> took responsibility for anything. Like you remember at the start of the season, before the season, he just randomly just dug out Tyrone Mings. I was going to say this, yeah. He ostracized him out of nowhere. And like, can you say, I, I want to say the quote. It was, um, he got asked when can Tyrone Mings come back into the team and he said, when he looks me in the eye and tells me that he can. My <laughs> God. <laughs> That's the club captain. That's ridiculous. Like. And look, look, Jack, we're not big Tyrone Mings fans, but you can't just do no. that to the captain. But also to yeah, everybody's yeah. credit, he's massively improved him as well. He looks the best that he's ever looked. Exactly, he's been fantastic, and all that comes down to you. I think a lot of those players, Ollie Watkins is another one. He was in the squad constantly under Jared and played out wide sometimes and things like that. And just, I think that the big, big, big difference between Emery and Jared has been Unai's ability to like kind of let the players know how good they are and how good they can be and give the confidence that they needed to go out and play and perform and. He's put the right players in the right positions and they're performing. Like even guys like Leon Bailey and people like that, who mm. is a brilliantly talented player. And it was a bit of a shock when Aston Villa even signed him. But Troyer's come back as well. Burson Troyer's come back now. as well. Yeah, he's been brilliant. Yeah. One of my abiding memories of Burson Troyer ever is um I think like way back when he used to play FIFA, like maybe FIFA 15 or something like that there. Mm, yeah. he, he always had like amazing stats, but he had one star weak foot. Yes, I remember this. Do you actually. remember that? Yeah. yeah. He had, like four star skills. And I was like, class, Nate, one star weak foot. And I was like, well, I can it's never like, use him. You can't use like, a player like, like that. Iron Robin here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even worse. Like, yeah, it's like if Iron Robin had literally, like physically had one leg. Uh, but I think as well, we... We hear a bit more about Villa as well because we we work with an Aston Villa fan in the office, uh, French editor Canton Gesp. He seems he just says like the kind of mood around the club seems to be really lifted. That Emery's this big name who's come in and hasn't. I think the the obvious um, example that I'm going to use is that when Spurs went and got Mourinho and then went got got Conte, um, it felt like they were doing Spurs a favour. So. Emery is almost, he's doing the opposite. He's embracing this. He's like, guys, I've been there. I've done it. Let's go on this journey. Let's prove a lot of people wrong. You guys have got a lot of talent. We can do this. So I think it's 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 great moment to be a Villa fan because you, you need to enjoy the journey. Like, I, I don't know. Look, a decent, half a decent bet for Europe this season. But if they even if they don't get it, even if they drop to eight for whatever, you got to enjoy the journey. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Right. Should we move on to number eight? Let's do it. Let's a do team it. that is, when we were discussing who should we put in these rankings yesterday, a team that's really gone under the radar, Atletico Madrid. Yeah. A team that I'm guessing a lot of people just kind of half forget exist. <laughs> yeah. not, I, I yeah. certainly have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, Diego Sonny's Atletico Madrid, still a football club. Mm. Who knew it? You know, not a lot, not a lot of people. Um, it, and it's because they haven't been doing anything in Europe. They were an absolute disaster this year in Europe. 
they haven't been able to replicate that form they had like early mid 2010s when they were right there probably should have won a champions league uh yeah 2016 now, it should have been theirs yeah it should have been theirs yeah like griezmann not at that time it was just outstanding um and now uh griezmann back not quite to that level but useful player certainly back to nearly his best anyways he's He's been fantastic recently, so he has. And Athletic and Legit in general have been fantastic recently. They've won their last five games on the bounce. Uh, he beat Sevilla 6-1 in that time, which is probably good news for my United fans, wondering what Sevilla are like. They lost the game 6-1 recently. <laughs> but, you yeah, know, United did lose a game 7-0 recently as well. So, you know. Pretty even matchup, you know. Yeah, apples and oranges there. Both bad results. <laughs> And yet, uh, before that, they hadn't actually lost a game since early January to, you can probably guess, 1-0 to Barcelona, the, the token La Liga result this season. Yeah. So that's a run of 12 games in the league unbeaten. And also, like they have a lot, they have a much smaller squad than they had before, back in the day when they were great in the Champions League and stuff. But because they're not in Europe uh, the second half of the season, they're able to just get the best out of um, what they have in that starting 11 of our Morata and Griezmann have been great. And I think it should not fly under the radar that this run of form has coincided with signing Republic Ireland legend, Matt Doherty, <laughs> yes, um, who has played, and let me look this up. How many minutes has Matt Doherty played for Atletico Madrid? He has played a whopping 12 minutes of football. And what a 12 minutes. <laughs> but what a 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh there's God. no coincidence that Matt Doherty has played 12 minutes of football in a run in which Atletico Madrid are 12 games unbeaten. Exactly, you know. You know, yeah, great dressing room guy. He's, he's on Instagram, he he's is. trying to speak in Spanish. Everyone's appreciating that. Yeah, I read it. He's brilliant. Yeah, he's good crack. And, you know, the locker room needs a guy like that. And I just think it's yeah. so funny that, like, looking at that signing and trying to work out why they did it. Why did they sign Matt Doherty? And it must just be like, well, Kieran Trippier was good. He was a right back. We took him first. from Spurs. <laughs> yeah. He must be good as well. Yeah. Next they'll be what sending the... Aso Okoro and. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. Well, we were surprised by it as well. Like, it only came out on deadline day in January that because Spurs were going to get Poro, I think it was like a, a warning to Emerson Royale and Matt Doggerty. One of you's got to go. All of a sudden it came out, oh, Aleko Madrid need a right back. We'll send him on loan there. And then I guess about an hour before the deadline. Uh, Spurs can't actually loan any more players out because they've filled their quota. Aleko, do you want me to sign on a free transfer for six months? Yeah, yeah we'll do it. <laughs> Ridiculous. <Great. laughs> how, how did that, what a mental admin issue for Tottenham they have. I mean, not yeah, can you Can you imagine like, so, like Tottenham emailing Aleko Madrid and they're like, hey guys, uh, so about that loan. And the guys in Madrid are just like, what the hell is going on at Spurs? <laughs> What's wrong with this Good football God. club? What's wrong with this football club? The reply to that is, where do you start? Where do you start? Yeah. Well, and also, you know, like Tottenham's form's um, fallen off a cliff since Matt Doherty's left as well. So, you know. That's true. I, I, that brings me to the point that I wanted to make. I don't know how kind of serious it is. I'm not a huge watcher of Atletico Madrid, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, I forgot they existed until about 28 hours ago. Um <laughs> Been much better since Yao Felix left for Chelsea. They have hundred percent. It seems yeah. like they've figured out how they want to build their attack. Yeah, how they yeah. want to. He was a bit of a... It's got, was it? It's got six goals against Sevilla. When did Atletico Madrid score six goals? Never, never. Last season, I think they might have scored seven goals all season. <laughs> exactly. Like, 
it doesn't happen. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it, he's he was such an albatross for the club in general, like that the the, the fee the as well, the money, yeah, uh, and like trying to justify that all the time. And like a lot of clubs have this when they go out and sign a player for that amount of money, and you have to try to make it work. You just have to. It's too much of an outlay for it not to work. But at yeah, some yeah. point, you just have to cut your losses. And Shell Felix, although he's a very talented player. Was never a Diego Simeone player. It never really made sense. It was sense strange. Was it, it, it felt like they they spent a while trying to kind of find the the long term heir to Griezmann, the kind of guy who could play behind the striker, and he just doesn't provide the same kind of things. Like Griezmann, I actually think in the kind of when we look back at his peak years, I think he's a little bit underrated because the stuff that he did for these for this Atletico Madrid team when they were getting to Champions League finals, when they were going far in the title race. I know they won the title when he wasn't there, but obviously, but, and he was a big part of the, the France that won the World Cup, but he was such a kind of, a, the player that brought the attack and forward, and the attack and midfield, sorry, together. And outside of, at that time, outside of Messi and Ronaldo, he probably was the best player in the world. And there were points of that and during that run and stuff where, you know, he's playing amazing in quarterfinals, semifinals, Champions League was like... Big games. Brilliant. Big game player. Yeah. And he was brilliant at Euro 2016 as well. I think, I think he was yeah. top scorer yeah. at that tournament. Uh, where he was, like, arguably the best player in the world at that time as well. well you get, they, uh, think about how close he came. He was denied Euro 2016 by Edez' freak long shot goal and then lost yeah. the Champions League final on pens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you think about that. And he still has won a lot of league title as well, which is <laughs> it's quite in funny, some ways kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. He's got, he he's got yeah, he's got a World Cup. I'm back. sure he's not losing sleep over it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that that's such a thing where um I, I used to always get it with Buffon as well, where people were always saying, like, Yeah, it's such a yeah. shame Buffon don't won the Champions League. And it's like, but he won what everything Cup, else. Man. He won the World Cup. <laughs> Nothing else matters. Yeah. If you won the World Cup, you're fine. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. You don't have to worry about so, anything ever again. <laughs> No, you don't. You don't. So speaking of trophies and teams who won a lot of trophies and players who won a lot of trophies, at number seven, Sean, we have the most trophy-laden team ever. <laughs> Going across town. Going across town. We have Real Madrid, Sean. So did you watch the game last night? What did you make of it? I know last night probably wasn't a good marker because they're playing, you know, Chelsea. Yeah, hard to take any like this is is was it second in our league against Lev from the Prem. In any other year, this is Real Madrid against I don't know Brighton. Brighton might yeah. have put yeah, yeah, legit, yeah. Brighton I'll probably would have put a better fight. I would yeah, I would like to watch that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but Real Madrid. Um, we mentioned they lost to Vera at the weekend, but generally finding some form again. I know the La Liga title's gone, but you look over the last 15, 20 years of Real Madrid. There are years they just do not contend for the title, and I think they're fine with that. Sometimes we'll just let Barca can have it, like whatever. We'll go for the Champions League. They are the Champions League team again, so it just happens. But they did get some revenge over Barcelona. They did put a little kind of dent in their season. Something that I'm sure Barcelona won't forget in a hurry. They knock they knocked them out of the Copa del Rey at the semi final stage. Real Madrid lost one nil to Barca at the Bernabeu, but then won four nil at Camp Nou. Really, really impressive game. They were really brilliant that night too. They were yeah. really brilliant. Peak Benzema, Modric performance. They just mm. tore the house down. They were exceptional. So they were. And yeah. yeah, yeah. With Real Madrid, it's been such a... They're out of any team in the world, and this is what's made them such a good Champions League team in the past like, 10, 15 years, and last 70, 80 years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's been their ability to just pick their battles. Like like yeah, you said, exactly, um, yeah. when they know that La Liga is gone, 
they'll not really care that much about it and use it for match fitness more than anything else. That's yeah, especially now with like got, got an older squad, especially. So yeah, they have to pick their battles. They can't they can't go out and, and expect Modric to run the show twice a week. It's just not possible anymore. You can do it once a week still, incredibly. You can't ask them to do it twice a week. So <laughs> yeah. when you see a result like the Villarreal one at the weekend, it was just like, yeah, like that's probably the sort of game Real Madrid will lose within mm. the next few yeah. months. But the games they won't lose are the game against Chelsea and the next game against Chelsea and then possibly <laughs> the next game against Man City and we'll see how it goes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Real Madrid, the team that I, I always think of is they're not beaten until they're beaten. You really have to kind of cut their head off and then just not to know that they're properly dead. I think the last season's Champions League run taught us that more than anything. And they do have this aura about them where um, I saw you talking on our Slack chat earlier about like even just putting a player like Kamavinga, who really good young player. I don't know if he's not like a superstar yet, but really good, someone to work with. Comes in at left back in recent weeks, and all of a sudden he's just he's got a kind of sense of empowerment and he's got this confidence. I I'm Eduardo Kamavinga. I've won a Champions League. I deserve to be playing for Real Madrid. I'm gonna prove a lot of people wrong because they were. I was saying in the office yesterday, he had a real stink at the World Cup playing left back. To yeah. come back from to come back from that. Really does say something about the kind of the mentality of this team. And I th- I actually think that I think they should keep Ancelotti. I think they should just be like, look, like, like I just said at the top, didn't win the league this year. Okay, Ancelotti himself never not. I know he's the first guy to win all five of Europe's top five leagues, but he's not like a prolific league title winner. No, not at all. Not at all. Never has been. He's he fits Real Madrid been... like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's always been a Champions League manager and that's yeah. exactly what Real Madrid need. And he's also like, that's the sort of dress room they've had and have right now. Uh, and Ancelotti and a Zidane are perfect for that. You don't mm. want the manager coming in like a Pep. Like I don't think a Pep Guardiola type of manager no, would work, work for no. those players. They just want a manager who can set up a team relatively well and just empower them. And uh, Ancelotti's yeah. Arguably the best manager ever. I just empowering players. Like exactly, there's yeah. there was um, things said about him. I think it was last year in the Champions League final where he went over to a few players and asked for their opinions on tactics in a Champions League final. And like <laughs> no other manager would do. It. Can you imagine Pep Guardiola no, doing that? There was no other manager could get away with it as well. Exactly. Yeah, he yeah, has the, yeah. He has this presence. He has this respect. And his ability to do it for such a long time and how much mm. dressing rooms have changed and how much uh, player empowerment's changed and how much players' attitudes, the um, styles of play has changed over the years. Um, his ability to like, ride those waves and still mm. be at a top, top elite level manager is astonishing. And yeah, like you said, I just don't see how they replace him with anyone other than... Zidane, I, I don't see how any other manager makes sense there. I don't think, I, like, for example, I think probably the one that would come to mind immediately is um, Antonio Conte in terms of top level heavyweight managers who haven't had that job. And I just can't imagine no. Antonio Conte working at that club. Can you imagine his um, no. training sessions with Modric and all? It just wouldn't work. <laughs> just not going to work. Ben's was just like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, they'd be like, what's wrong with this guy? Well, the other, the other one that's been linked is Nagelsmann. It's just like, you saw the kind of flame out of Bayern Munich. What you don't want to put this anti-social tactics guy into that kind of environment. It's, it's similar in a way to Tuchel. I think Tuchel's a little bit better than this, but that's not the kind of manager Real Madrid need. Real Madrid need more. It's about the players. It's it's a bit like remember Chelsea 
um, in like the mid to late 2000s, early 2010s. It was more about mm. the players. It was about finding the right guy to be the leader, not necessarily yeah, yeah, be yeah. the one to kind of tinker with loads of little things. It was about how do I get the best out of this quite obviously world-class assortment of players. Yeah, And that's exactly why when Achilati went there, they were brilliant. Mm. And as, as we learned out, wasn't too good at Napoli or Everton. He's not that exactly. kind of manager. Yeah, yeah, where they need more of a tactical outlay, mm. especially yeah. at Everton. They need their hands held <laughs> yeah. at all yeah, times on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sean, next up, number six, we have, we're back in the Premier League after we jaunt over to Spain and La Liga there. Who have we got mm. in at number six? We have got high flying Newcastle United, who I had the pleasure of going to see this weekend. I was at Brentford, Newcastle at the GTEC Community Stadium. I was, re- I mean, I, I came into it thinking this is a game that, that a team who, if they're serious about Champions League ambitions, they need to be beating the kind of feel good fairy tale mid table story. That's what they need to do. Just find a way to, to win, to overpower that. A team that's really good at home that hasn't lost at home since um, September. The last team to beat Mad. Brentford at home were uh, Arsenal. They won three 0 My God, was, that, that's like, incredible! I know, honestly, it's like it's such a kind of formidable home record. And I, but coming into that, fresh in my mind was how good Newcastle were against Man United as well, and how they made United kind of crumble in the St James's Park atmosphere, and how that was just like you can imagine Newcastle being in a Champions League game, and a big team comes to St James's Park, and they just wilt a little. Yeah. It reminded me a little. It reminded me a little of um, obviously biased here. Spurs, when Spurs beat Real Madrid at Wembley, and Real Madrid mm-hmm. just couldn't get it going, and Spurs just was, even though they weren't didn't have like a like big game experience like that, they had the kind of knowledge. They knew they had this confidence. Yeah, and, and they kind of Newcastle, built energy off the crowd. Like they yeah. just seemed like they're a wee bit faster, a wee bit yeah. stronger. Which, which is hard to do at Wembley as well. Um, so you think it's, it's St James's Park should be easy for Newcastle, mm-hmm. um, and then so coming to Brentford. Newcastle were bad in the first half. I will say that. Ivan Tony had an early goal ruled out for a really marginal offside. Um, got away with that. Sven Botman clatters into Kevin Sharda. Gives away a pen. Ivan Tony, the worst penalty I've ever seen him hit, saved by Nick Pope. Is that his first penalty miss in the Premier League? Yeah, first for Brentford. He hasn't missed first since for Brentford was, in general. I think it was since 2018. That's when he missed one for Peterborough. But yeah, his, his perfect Brentford penalty record is gone. Then Isak gives away a penalty for a foul on Rico Henry. Tony doesn't make a mistake this time. Brentford going 1-0 up. And you think Newcastle are a little bit lucky that it's only 1-0 because they didn't make anything in the first half. They looked really flat. They were trying. It was really hard to kind of get Isak involved. Um, like Jacob Murphy was out wide, wasn't doing a lot. He got hooked off at half-time. They changed the formation. They brought Callum Wilson, stuck him up with Isak. And all of a sudden, for the next for the first 20 minutes of the second half, Newcastle just really penned Brentford in, just kept hammering it to Isak and Wilson. And they just, this understanding that they had, I was so impressed. And it made me think, I really want to see more of them as like a two, because they're just these really unique kind of profiles. Like Wilson is, he's not like an overly physical guy, but he's a really great finisher. And it looks like he's someone who's willing to kind of drop off a bit and link play. Isak is a complete striker. He's so six good, isn't he? Six four, six five. Yeah. Um, really technically gifted, can come up with all kinds of finishes. He scored what um what turned out to be the winner with a great shot from the edge of the box, went to the top corner. And Newcastle held on, they weathered a storm. And I was really impressed that they managed to grind out that win. Because like I said, you need to win those games if you want to finish third or fourth. 
I feel like like when he, when he mentioned Newcastle were in a storm. I feel like that whole kind of Christmas period where they were struggling for goals, but just kind of hanging in games and relying on mainly Nick Pope to have storm and performances. Yeah. It feels like um, their ability well or that storm and then wait for Isaac to come in. And since Isaac's come in, they've looked like a completely rejuvenated team again. And it is, like you say, just because of how good a player he is. He's mm. exceptional. Like, he, he, he's not, I don't think he's as uh, good a finisher as Wilson. And I think that's maybe what they can play off each other with. Like yeah. Isaac can bring up, like can run him behind, can hold up the ball and, you know, can create chances for Wilson. And uh, whereas Wilson can drop in and do a bit more dirty work and also do some of the finishing as well. They, they on paper, they're a great uh, two. It's just going to be really interesting to see if they have the goal to play two up top a lot mm. because a lot, not a lot of teams are willing to play two up top unless they're playing like a five three two or something like that, and then you lose a bit of uh, creative ingenuity and you're relying on mm-hmm. wing backs to create chances for them, which is um, has been an issue for teams like Spurs who have relied mm-hmm. on wing backs yeah. to perform really really well and they haven't performed, and then you're like, well, what do you expect? You're relying on your wing backs to create all your chances, so it's going to be interesting to see if they can fit those two team two players in without losing a lot of creativity because the way they played against Brentford as well was a lot of long balls up top and mm. that worked against Brentford, but that might not work against some other teams mm. as well. But it, but it's a good sign for Lemons to be able to show that sort of tactical flexibility and, and fair for play sure, to yeah. how um, I wasn't that impressed with the job he was doing in his, uh, late in his tenure at Bournemouth. They were conceding an outrageous amount of goals, but he's shown uh, malleability as a manager and he's made Newcastle really, really tight at the back, something he's never done before at any other Yeah, it's, that's really impressive, isn't it? Like, just the way to adapt yourself to that kind of situation and just prove a lot of doubters wrong like that. Yeah, he's done He's done a fantastic job on that side. And then also, like, a microcosm of what he's done at Newcastle was at the weekend where it wasn't working at half time. He changed it up. He's willing to change. He's not one of those managers that sticks their guns like... We keep bringing it up because you're here, Sean, but Antonio Conte at Tottenham <laughs> <laughs> just would not change no matter what. And it's good having a manager like that who's willing to change. And then also, like, players buy into a manager like that because they know that every decision he's making, he's not making it out of, like, an ego or, like, a thranness or anything. He's making it. Mm. He's making a decision for the good of the team at all times. And so far, so good with his decisions. He's made a couple yeah. of really, really great decisions for them so far. You say, you say that. The other thing I should mention is he brought Anthony Gordon at halftime. He was completely crap. He I'm not surprised. Off. He brought, <laughs> he brought him surprised. off in stoppage time to bring on another defender. And there's a video going around of Anthony Gordon. He is fuming that he's been brought back off. Really? But the, 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 but the mean, matter of fact be, is, but... yeah, you, like, how is this like, we're kind of drowning under the pressure. We can't just get away with having Gordon as a passenger. We need to throw someone else on instead. I know you can't be you can't be afraid. Who's right to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it works, it works. And Anthony Gordon, I completely forgot he was there until I was seeing the highlights of the game. I was like, oh yeah, Anthony Gordon, but he was crap. So I'm not I'm not surprised he's not been great for a while. And he seems like one of those weird, kind of panicky sort of signings. They try to make something was, click in January. Weird, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot. Newcastle's wingers, apart from Sam Maximan, who was really good against Man United. Um, this, they're more kind of about hard work. They're more about just kind of digging for the team. Gordon maybe was like kind of like maybe he can bring a little bit of what Sam Maximan does, but completely different levels between Anthony Gordon and Alan Sam Maximan. 
So I really wasn't sure what was going on there. Yeah, more of like a like a Jacob Murphy type of player, mm. really. Uh, technical ability wise, I don't, I don't really understand that move. It seems like one where um, maybe in eighteen months' time he might not be there anymore. He might be on loan <laughs> somewhere else or something like that. Yeah. It seems like one of those ones. Yeah, I do. Want, I do want to quickly shout out. Um, you mentioned there about the wing backs, Kieran Trippier, another really good game. Just yeah. so, his delivery spot on, um, his calmness, the leadership that he brings. Completely different to the Trippier that I saw at the back end of his Tottenham days. And Bruno Gimaraes, um just someone who does everything to a really high standard. I was so impressed and I could not believe that... I know there were other teams interested. I think Arsenal had an interest that, that at the time, lower mid-table Newcastle were able to just swoop in and buy him from Leon with little fuss. Yeah. He is unbelievable. He is one of the best midfielders in the league. Yeah, and a midfielder, like I was saying about... Um... John McGinn being able to do two, like playing a two. Oh my God. Imagine Bruno Guimaraes in a two. Brilliant. <laughs> like, incredible. He can just do everything. He's, there's not yeah. a weakness in his game. Yeah. He's a brilliant player. And it, I, to be honest, like some of the, the, the fact that he came from Leon, I think that might have kind of scared teams off from him. I think it scared like, me. It scared me a bit. We'd signed a midfielder yeah. from Leon and it didn't quite work. <laughs> exactly. That was, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm, what I mean. It's like, there's been a few players like that who have come through mm. at Leon, midfielders in particular. Uh, you have Ndombele, uh, Hossam Ayer, who's still there, uh, yeah, yeah. and Bruno Guimaraes as well. They've all been, we've all been told a million times that these players are the next best midfielders and stuff. And then you see two of them, and they're not very good. And it just yeah. so happens that the third one, Bruno Guimaraes, is actually <laughs> that good and was actually yeah. worth the hype. And I'm sure a lot of teams are kicking themselves, being like, oh, we shouldn't have thought about Tangy. We should have thought about Bruno yeah. Guimaraes instead. Yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell teams now: you're not getting him out of Newcastle. You're not oh, not, no for, not for no not way. for another four or five years for sure. No, no. the trajectory's there, and he seems to love it up there. So it is. You can he see, seems like, to really be involved. Yeah. Like he like he's such a fan favorite. He said he did a piece with um, the Players Tribune recently. He said he wants to be a Geordie legend. Like he really kind of lent into that. So I think. And that is just a place like I've never been to Newcastle. I've always kind of wanted to go and feel what that kind of atmosphere is like. But it feels like a place that when things are going well, it really is united. I can imagine being swept in that since he's been there. They've been amazing. Yeah, they've been the best yeah, they've been yeah. in about, I don't know, beyond the days of Alan Pardew, probably back to Sir, Sir Bobby Robson. Yeah, yeah, probably those Champions League days. Bobby Robson, mm. Alan Shearer, and Craig Bellamy and all before they go out. <laughs> what a team. <laughs> what a team. What a team. Yeah. Okay. So, should we move on to number five? And you're going to have to fill me in a little bit on this, Jack, because I haven't seen too much of them. I think because of the circus that happens on the other side of town, that there's so little fanfare about what this team do. Um, so, please enlighten me about why and how Lazio are so good. Yeah, so, yeah, Lazio have been one of the real surprises in Syria this year. I think the main obvious surprise is how good Napoli have been and how they've... Um, mm really just like steamrolled the whole league but right in behind there in second place well I say right in behind they're probably about 20 points behind but, <laughs> but in, in the positions table, there's only one difference yeah, it's not that far between first and second but you look it up the yeah. they're quite close together um yeah has been Lazio and yeah like a lot of it's been down the the manager a lot of it's been down the sorry and also just the club's willingness to back him and it's mm. something that um like Chelsea and Juventus did not do. They gave him a year and it didn't work. And after one year, they sacked him, let him go. 
And it's always been clear with Sorry teams is because they're so drilled and every finite detail of the game is so drilled that yeah. it's it takes a long time for Sorry's football to start working. It took a while at Napoli. They didn't he didn't get the time to make it work at Chelsea, he didn't get the time to make it work at Juventus, but at Lazio last year was his transition year. They weren't great last year. They were still working things out, still working out like what sorry wanted, how he wanted it done and stuff. And this year, it's just all worked out. They've they've clicked, they've understood what sorry wants. They've been able to execute his game plans from his set pieces, to his defensive setup, to those like really intricate passing plays that he actively teaches them to do on the training ground. It's just all worked, and they're they're now second in the league. Played Juventus off the park on Saturday. They won the Rome Derby a few weeks ago. They beat Napoli yep. at the start of March. They're just like they just are a great, great team, and they're doing it with, you know, you know some of the the really high quality players they have, like Malenka, Beach Savage, like Chiro Immobile and stuff. But it's not even really been those players that have made the big, big, big leaps this year. On their sorry, it's been guys like Sakagni who's their joint top scorer this year, I think, alongside mm. Chiro. Um, yeah. Although Chiro's been injured for a while as well, but still <laughs> impressive, still sounds impressive. And guys like Alessio Romagnoli, who really wanted to sign for the club in the summer, is his boyhood fan of the club, signed, and it's just really, really been brilliant there, been a real leader at the back for them, and they've won the best defensive records in, in Italy because of that. And yeah, it's, just, it's one of those things where they're just reaping the rewards of back and sorry, and the players themselves are reaping the rewards from listing the sorry and they're becoming better players because of it. And I think that the absolute prime example of what this Lazio team are, and um, if anyone hasn't seen the goal, look it up. Sakanya scored a goal at the weekend against Juventus. It was a lovely, typical sorry sweeping move. And the ball came on their box and Luis Alberto, former Liverpool man, Luis Alberto, uh, didn't look back. He the ball to Sakanya and Sakanya finished. And after the game, Sakanya came out and said, uh, we did that in training yesterday. We, we tried that drill in training yesterday. So when when things like that are done on a training ground and then brought on their pitch against one of the top teams in your country in like a raucous Stadio Olimpico and they mm. work and you win the games, that's when a sorry team is great. And they've been yeah. a joy to watch. So if anyone hasn't watched them that much this season, I would recommend just sticking on BT Sport or wherever you are in the world and ESPN Plus in the US and all. <laughs> Stick them on. Have a wee watch and you'll enjoy them. They're they're good crack. They're a good watch. They are for definite. Yeah. I didn't I completely forgot that there was a nice segue we could have done here because Eddie Howe um is really kind of good friends with Maurizio Sari. Um, um I remember reading, mm. reading a piece before that when Howe was at Bournemouth, he went to go he asked to kind of visit um Sari at, when he was at Empoli because he wanted to kind of learn more about his training methods, he was really impressed by what they were doing there. And they kind of forged this relationship. I know Bournemouth played Napoli in a friendly a couple of times, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah. And then the other thing that's sticking in my mind is I remember uh, Nathaniel Chalaba went there on loan for a season in 1516, I believe it was. And he did an interview with the Galazzo podcast. And he was talking about the kind of the attention to detail that Sari demands from his players. And he said they kind of set them homework about the different like throwing routines. Like just you need to know all these signals for what's going to happen after this throw. And he was just like this. This detail was like nothing he'd ever seen. So you're right. He sorry did not get enough time to do what he wanted to do at either Chelsea or Juventus. And I, when he went to Chelsea, it was 
he was going to be the antithesis to Conte, that he was going to be the man to bring entertaining football. And they gave him one season. He won the Europa League, but went off to Juventus after that. Yeah. Didn't get and more then, than Juventus either. And then you look at the two teams, you look at Chelsea and Juventus now, and you look at the way Lazio were playing, and mm. Lazio are currently a much better team than Juventus, and they're a much better team than Chelsea as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's yeah. all down to the manager. And I, I know especially watching Juventus, I'm like, you know, look how many managers Juventus have gone through since mm. sorry. And, you know, give them a year, give them a year and a half or whatever and, and drop them. And it's like, okay, well, you know, you were so high on sorry to hire him in the first place. Like, apparently, Agnelli and all was so, so high on him. And then you sack him after one season. And then you're kind of like spinning the wheels for a few years now. And they're still, still spinning their wheels now. Yeah. Whereas if you had to just backed him, give him another year, Juventus might be a much, much better team than they are now. And the same thing with Chelsea. I've just noticed looking at Lazio's squad list. He has got one of his old favourites there, El Side Hearsay. He does. Yeah, I, I, I love quite El a few Albanian El friends. Who, yeah, I have a lot of Albanian friends. They always go on about Hearsay when he was at Napoli and always linked to to Sarri's Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So. He was amazing at Napoli. He was probably the best mm. fullback in Italy at that time. But older yeah. now. But like just having some players that know those methods and know those tactical setups and stuff. It's why he brought Jorginho to Chelsea. It's just. Having those yeah, kind of yeah. guys where you can be like, look, you know, give a second option where the players might not understand what Sorry is saying, but one of the other mm. players can turn around and give a wee bit of instruction as well. Yeah. It's good that way. So it is. So moving on from Lazio, I think they've got a lot of love there for Blaydelum. Maybe not so much love next week if they lose. <laughs> be like, Sorry's terrible. What's he doing? What's he doing? Smoking too, too much, you see. I know. He's too busy smoking. He's he the be, football. Yeah. <laughs> so in at number four Sean we're going back to La Liga and I feel like a lot of La Liga has got a lot of love this week this mm, is the yeah. is this the fourth La Liga team in the rankings so yes, far yes it is yeah Yeah. so who is it Sean thank, thank you for the last it's Barcelona the runaway leaders of La Liga um, mentioned earlier knocked out of the Copa del Rey by Real Madrid they drew 0-0 with Grown at the weekend but it seems pretty inconsequential because the league is basically theirs. I think what Barca should be focusing on now is smashing all sorts of defensive records. They've played 28 games in La Liga. They've conceded nine goals. Ridiculous. So when you look Ridiculous. at the table, you look at the goal, you look at the goals against record, there is still in single digits. It's That's unbelievable. Yeah. And you think about what you know, the kind of what Barcelona about about scoring loads of goals, playing really nice football. They 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 play like decent football, but What's really underpinned this kind of charge to take back La Liga, which will be their first title since 2019 um, under Ernesto Valverde? How good they've been defensively? How like to Stegen's career arc completely? You know he was he was dipping. He's managed to reverse that decline. I think that's really impressive. I really like it when goalkeepers can do that and prove that they're not just dumb. Um, and I do the the older I get, I think I've tweeted this a few weeks ago maturing is realising and appreciating how good um, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea were in 0405 because they conceded 15 goals in the Prem and for Bath. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So it's be at a, they're on nine now, nine. We're in April. That's unbelievable. You look at like it's not even as if they've got the same kind of cast of defenders that that, that Chelsea team had. You know, Chelsea had Ferreira, Cavalio, Terry, um, Bridge, whoever else they played. Yeah. Galas, whoever played, else played. Michael there. Ailey, um, sitting yeah. in to protect yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Barcelona's defenders: Ronaldo Rojo, Andreas Christensen, who mm-hmm. was very well at Chelsea. Yeah, and been brilliant this season. Yeah. yeah, he's been quality. Uh, yeah. Marcus Alonso, Jordi Alba, mm-hmm. Jules Kunde, Eric Garcia, um, Alejandro Balde. You just wonder, like, that is down to coaching. That is because of coaching. Yes. That is yeah, a really yeah, impressive yeah. achievement from Xavi. Yeah. And it's also not not something you probably would have expected from Xavi when he became a manager. No, uh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting him to be that sort of manager. I was expecting him to be that kind of, like, really... I think progressive is the wrong word because progressive means that defensive, being defensively solid, doesn't isn't is like a regressive thing. It's <laughs> but not you, th- a good you thing. think you'd be more like but Arteta's Arsenal this year? Exactly. That that's the way I was thinking. But what he's done, and it's to be fair, it's probably the exact right way that this Barcelona team needed to be built. And it's the way a lot of managers talk about trying to build teams, and it's the way Allegri started to build Juventus and stuff. Is before we work out how to be like a really really good team going forward. Let's just fix it at the back first so that we have something to work off of long term. Foundation. And that's exactly what he's done. Exactly. Like and they've made a couple of really, really clever signings um in the summer. Um, don't know how they afforded it. I don't really want to know how they afforded it. <laughs> but they've been done anyway. It's crime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all his levers being pulled for all these players. <laughs> It's like cartoon kind of like yuck. it is <laughs> the Marcus Alonso lever. <laughs> I, re- I remember I remember reading it for the first time. I was like, lever? What are you talking about? <laughs> I know. And then next thing you know, it's in like every single article. All yeah, these close pulling levers. Yeah, well, I've read about the levers too much. I don't care for them. So it's like they've but by pulling these levers, they've been able to sign some really good wee players. Like Jules Kunde. It was obvious he was going to be a great player for them. Chelsea were scampering around for him all summer. Chelsea wanted him really, really badly. Yeah, really, and you can really see why watching now, like his ability to play as a centre half and they play as a right back. He's been fantastic at both. He was bringing for France at the World Cup as well in that kind of 
right back, centre back sort of role he was playing yeah. for in between. And yeah, like Andreas Christensen is probably the the standout one where, like you said, unbelievable maligned at Chelsea. Everyone hated him, um, and has come in and just been really really well coached and and looked ten times the defender he's ever looked before under Xavi. And yeah, it's like they've been so 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 good defensively that. Like you said, now the, the goal should be to try to break all those records, every single yeah. defensive record. And it would just be really funny for Barcelona, like great attacking Barcelona, known for their <laughs> free-flowing, expansive football. Do you have all these great defensive records as well? It'd be quite funny. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, the elephant in the room this season has been the European record again, out of the Champions <laughs> League at the group stage again. Out of the Europa League in the knockout round playoff against Manchester United, well, I thought I thought it was a kind of really high quality tie. Yeah, really it was at, it. watching that. I think it was that week. Um, was the round of sixteen games the Champions League, and I remember yeah, we were yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about it in the office and being like, like Man United were banging form at that time as well. And I was like, hmm. this is the best game between any of the teams. Like these, yeah, are the two, it was, these are like yeah. the two best teams in Europe at that time playing yeah. this art in the Europa League, and it wasn't even like the Europa League proper. It was like the that weird new like it's the knockout playoff, playoff yeah, yeah. round that they have, and it was like, what's yeah. going on? How's that a thing? But yeah, the the games were brilliant. Um, I think the issue for um them and in general this year has just been squad depth. They've just lacked a bit of squad depth, and it's mm. I kind of liken them the um the way Man United have been is um their starting eleven has been fantastic, but any time that any player drops out of that starting eleven, things just stop working. They don't really yeah. have the capacity yeah. the way a Man City do. The like, for example, Man City had Bernardo Silva on on Tuesday night and could have easily had Ria Mahrez there. Like, yeah. they don't have that luxury yet. It's about building the starting 11 first, getting after the work, and then after that, they can go and start building in the pieces. But that's to say they can. I don't know if they can. Um, I don't know what the financial <laughs> issues are at that club. Especially, especially um, if they're going to put all these eggs and trying to get Messi back basket. So. Yeah, which sounds like a... Sounds like a bit of a bit of a disaster. I just feel like it's not really going to work that well, to be honest. I'm I, think, like, I think they, I think they should probably move on. They should. Yeah, it's just it, it's one of those ones where when you've built a unit and such a hard working unit the way they have, and their strength is um, like everyone being together and working together is this movable unit and pressing well and stuff and even like boys like Lewandowski have already put shifts in this season and maybe yeah. not scored as many goals but done a lot of off the ball that's um, helped them become as uh, dominant as they've been in La Liga they bring in a kind of luxury player and that team might yeah. be it, it's 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 an interesting type of move they probably I think they should probably be looking at players who can that have the same profiles as the players they have in the starting 11 and just Getting another one, yeah, yeah, yeah because one over time. Look, you, you look at the kind of the rotating cast of their current wingers. You know, Usman Dembele, Anzu Fati, Ferran Torres, Rafinha. They're all about the same kind of level. They've all yeah, got similar yeah. goal records this season. Yeah. They're kind of on the. They they're good. You know, I take on the Spurs, obviously, but mm-hmm. you um, take anyone Spurs. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. honestly, uh, <laughs> they're they're decent. Are they going to be the guys who score a winner in a Champions League final or something like that? I don't think they're yeah. quite at that level. Can't imagine it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And you think about Messi, like, cemented his legacy with that World Cup win. It does feel now that... I'm not saying he's coasting. I don't want to, like, write off the best player of all time, but 
his, his best years are behind him. And like we said, is adding a luxury player to this clearly hardworking unit. Is that the best tactical kind of move? Is this too blinded by nostalgia? Should he just go to uh, MLS to kind of improve the business acumen? Should he go to Saudi Arabia and just have the final payday so he can live his life? And we never have to see him again yeah, yeah. for the next 30 years because I can't imagine he's going to be like a public figure. Should he go back to Argentina and play in his home country for the first time? You know, I feel like... I think that's the only thing... I think that's the only thing to really take off. I think that, that's been the issue with um, Messi this year with PSG after the World Cup. Is, his, his performance has happened generally really, really good. Um, but it just doesn't feel like... And like you said, like don't, we don't want to say coasting, but... It just feels like there's nothing for him to achieve, and I don't really know what his yeah. uh, his motivation is in European football anymore. But if he was to go back to Argentina and play and play for like a Bocker, go back to New old boys who came through yeah. originally, just for that feel good season, and then retire after that, it just feels like after the World Cup, you, you yeah. could have retired. Well, like it, well, the rest, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, look, you look at the scenes of like the most recent international break when the Argentina fans were celebrating. You think. He's kind of given this whole generation of Argentinians this big memory, this big, this huge love, this togetherness. And going back there to finish his career just seems like, for me, it seems like the obvious way to end it. It's not as if he's going to be strapped for cash or anything. But no, I think I think it'd be fine. I think it'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's done all right. I'm not, I'm not asking him to play on like five grand a week, but I'm just saying yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And I feel like he can live off that grand a week as well. It's quite a lot of money. <laughs> Uh, uh, but anyway, so should we move on to a team you're talking about there, a team that's failed in Europe this season? Let's move on to a team that have really shown some cunningness in Europe this season. AC Milan, Jack. Yes. So last night, they did exactly what they did. They taught them. And they I'm sure you were at, at, a, at a better level. Uh, yep. Napoli provided a lot more than Spurs did and, and Milan just kept pushing them back. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure like after that, Spurs and going into that Spurs um, games, you're probably thinking, okay, we should win these. We should yeah. beat AC Milan. I'm great yeah. this season. But like, and uh, we're talking about it with Lazio, who are really, really well coached, and our Serie A team, who are really, really well coached, is AC Milan. And I think Stefano Pioli has kind of worked out a perfect way for this team to um, go at these Champions League knockout round games. They're very, yeah. very, very well set up defensively. They have. Uh, finally, again, an informed Rafa Leal um, up top who can make a difference and stretch a backline and kind of force a backline not to push further forward. Um, they, he kind of keeps a backline honest at all times. So you might not see him score in every game. He didn't score last night, but he kept the Napoli defence honest the whole way through. And their ability to catch teams on the break has led to this incredible run. And That, that were, goal, I was, I was in awe of the way they built that goal. Yeah, they were... Uh, and uh, shout out, like, Brahim Diaz last night. Oh, like, what, he's got oh, a lot of stick over sweet. the years, but yeah. he was brilliant last night. He was really great. Just, yeah, like, in transition, um, he's such a perfect player for that type of football. And I think for so long, he's been... Uh, because he's been associated with Pep early on in his career and associated with that Man City team, he was expected to be that kind of ball player and player. He would take things over and drop on the midfield and drop out and stuff. But... He just seems to suit this type of counter-attacking football. This is the type of football he is, and this is the type of system that you get the best out of him in. And, you know, guys like uh, 
Davide Calabria last night was exceptional against Gavard's failure. Kept him so quiet. And, you know, he got a lot of the ball last night, Gavard's failure, and yeah. did nothing with it because Calabria was always on him. And they just have, like, I think the, the thing that uh, the BT Sport commentators kept saying last night was their streetwise. And I don't know if, I think that's a wee bit, like, dark artsy or whatever, the way people go on about teams. I think they've just, they have a lot of players who have kind of, been there and and won big games uh, like most of the squad is the squad that won Serie A last year played yeah. a lot of high leverage yeah. football last season and they also have uh, players who play really high leverage games at international level they have uh, Teo Hernandez at fullback they have Simon Kier at centre half and they just they have a lot of players who have dealt with this sort of pressure before and I think that's something that um, the Snapley team for how great they've been and how they've been able to go out and sign these players you might not have heard of before this this year. Gone <laughs> out and made them great players. The main one's Kavaris Felia. Kim Min Jae is another one who was kind of plucked from Fernabachi in relative obscurity. Um, but these players haven't played in these games before. They haven't been like at the business end of competitions. Mm. They haven't been at the business end of like a Serie A title race, really, because this season hasn't been a title race. They just, they've blown everyone away. The players, it's, the it's, it's a different, yeah, there. it's a different kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know they've they've been great. The only the only thing I would say about uh, Milan and the only downside to last night's result is they probably should have won by more. They probably should have went and really killed them off last night. That especially after like, it goes down to ten men, yeah, exactly. And uh, Napoli were kind of throwing the rag about it at the end too. They they were you know mouthing off the referee silly fouls like it looked like they were going to get another player sent off at this point they kind of lost a bit of shape for a while as well and it felt like last night Napoli were kind of there for the taking and the fact that they they yeah they took them they beat them 1-0 but you know you, you kind of have to go and kill a team like Napoli because in the next game at the Maradona Stadium Victor Osman's back yeah yep you know it's going to be like they hold on to a one elite down there. It's going to be very, very, very tricky in that atmosphere. But it would be a mighty impressive achievement if they were to do it. Yeah, yeah. One of, one know, of their best in recent memory, Milan results, if they were able to do it. Yeah. And we meant, you mentioned there about um, having kind of more of that kind of nows to beat Napoli. I think we should mention as well that Milan came bottom of their Champions League group last year. Their first Champions League campaign uh, in nearly a decade yeah. came bottom. But the thing that you kind of learn is that if you're trying to be, build a team that wants to consistently work their way back into the latter stages of the Champions League, you need to kind of sometimes have that humiliation. You need to have that kind of thing where you're like, okay, that was clearly the wrong way to do things. We need to have learned this lesson. Um, you see that with that's um, good for Tottenham's a good example of that. Where, exactly. Um, it's exactly what the, I was thinking in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the year um, Juventus knocked them out. And Spurs were the better team over the two legs. But yeah. that, but a uh, nice is what got yeah. uh, Juventus through. So next season, yeah, when exactly. Yeah. Had the backs against the walls, then yeah. you kind of were able to draw on that experience of being like, okay, yeah. well, this is how Juventus did it. Here's what yeah. we it was, it was, it. When you look at that, it was like a three year stretch where we went out on the group stage on our return. Then we went out to Juventus despite playing really well. And then the next year after, we used that kind of now as we got to the final. So, and Milan on a similar trajectory, you know, say they weather the storm in Naples, they get to the semis. It looks like they're going to be playing against Inter um, 
you know, I would look, I would really look forward to that. I would really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But you think like, I, I, you know more about Serie A than I. Who would you back in a two-legged Champions League semi-final like that? Against AC Milan, Hunter. Yeah. Probably back AC Milan, to be honest. Um, Inter beat them in uh, the derby in, mm. I think it was mid-January, but that was a really, really awkward, strange period for Milan where Rafa Leao didn't start. Divock they, they lost 5-2 to Sassuolo at home, I remember. Yeah, they were. And I think like a lot of that time, I think um, Rafa Leao's head was a bit turned by all our clubs. And yeah, yeah. He was completely out of form. Yeah. I think now that he's fully focused... And um, you have people like Kier back fully in full form. Uh, Calabria is playing as well as he is. The midfield, the Sandro Tonali, Benacer is back to his best as well. Yeah. They've all been just fantastic. And they're really working like a unit again, the way they were last season. And they've kind of like refocused again after a kind of shaky first few months of the season of this kind of what are we as a football club sort of situation. Yeah. They're kind of, finally kind of refinding their identity of being a big football club, which is great because look, the San Siro last night, and you'll see it in the semifinals, um, whether or not Milan go through, it looks like Inter are going to go through. Um, you're going to see a San Siro full in a Champions League semifinal. Uh, it, it was and... it was really great to see kind of all the TIFOs and stuff before the match. It felt like, it felt, made me feel like I was in 2005 again. I know, and that's what we want. They want, we yeah, want that feel. So it's good. such an amazing yeah. stadium. Um, yeah. I, have you Have you been there? No, no, I haven't. I'll tell you a really funny story need, about need it. To, need to go before it gets knocked down. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. Uh, so last year, um, I was invited to go uh, at the Inter Fiorentina mm. by BT Sport. Mm. And I said yes without thinking. I was like, have a <laughs> I guess. Put me in. Yeah, 100%. And then, I, and then a few hours later, I was like, crap. I'm going to need a passport. I lost my passport. like a Oh, before. no. <laughs> so I did. And I was like, oh. I'll need a passport. And I was looking up like how fast I could get a new passport. Yeah. And I could get like a fast track thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was taken. The next appointment wasn't for like another week. So it would yeah. have been the Friday before the game. And I was yeah. supposed to fly out on the Friday uh, before uh. the game. Because it was like um, you were going to like the... I think uh, there was an interview with Franco Baresi and all. It just gets worse. The oh, more yes, about this, yes. It gets worse. Yes. So then... Um, our, our friend Jude went to this instead. Yes. So give it to Jude instead. And Jude had a great time, which he is did. great. He, he, I'm he glad he had a great time. Though. Yeah. Shout out, Jude. Yeah. But yeah. But so it? next time I'll have a passport. Yeah. And I definitely do want to go. I was watching it last night being like, I got to go. I have to. I have to go. They see it. It's it's something, just... it's something like I, there are two stadiums I've been to in my life where I've walked out and just thought, Apart from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium the first time I was there, that felt like that was different. That's in a different corner, but the two stadiums where it just felt like, wow, this is the place. It was when I went to the Bernabeu in 2014 and I went to San Siro in 2018 for Inter versus Spurs in the Champions League. Another one of those cases where Spurs were better and then they conceded two goals in basically the last minute. So Was that the Cardi? The Cardi score? Icardi Icar- Icar- and Vecino. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that game, actually. Yeah. That was a group stage game. Yeah. It was, yeah. But we ended up getting to the final that year, so it's all right. Um, it all worked out. Well, it nearly worked out. We'll not talk about it. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Yeah, enough, yeah, enough of that. Okay, yeah, we're into yeah. the top two now. We're into the kind of the proper, proper yeah. elite of European football right now. And we will start with the team relinquishing top spot from our article from last week, Arsenal. And it feels like they're going to 
probably relinquish top spot, not just in our hoping, but in our tables too <laughs> in the coming weeks. I feel actually right. I know you don't feel bad for them. I know you obviously don't feel bad for them. You're doing these slides, so you are every Sunday when they drop. Oh, points. honest. Uh, I, I felt it felt like watching a Spurs game on Sunday. Like it was so invested <laughs> in it. We are our we are Spurs top on. We Jared on the back of it. <laughs> You'll never walk alone, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do, but I I do feel we've got sorry for them uh, because. You know, they've been so great this season and they've overcome so much and their form recently has been impeccable. They've been fantastic. They've barely dropped points all year in 2023. But Man City are just being Man City right now. They're just, <laughs> they're steamrolling teams, like really. And it feels like every time Arsenal drop points or like a wee bit shaky or whatever, you just know that Man City are going to be able to capitalize on it. And that game um, on Sunday was probably the best Premier League game I've seen this season in it's terms of intensity yeah. and quality and stuff. It was it was a fantastic game. And um, Arsenal in the first half an hour or so, arguably their best performance of the season. Head of the, in the shoulders first half above, an hour. above Liverpool. They went Different class. This, they went to this place that they hadn't won in years and were just yeah. like, we're, we're better than you. Yeah, yeah. They should have been, they should have been at least three up. They should have been outside. Mark. That was that was ultimately their fault. Then that, yeah. But they I get think, outside and they let Liverpool back into the game. Yeah, and how they let them back in is, I think one of the biggest issues for Arsenal face like this season is um, you're kind of relying on players to play slightly above themselves all the time. Um, yeah. And we go back to we go back to Tottenham as we we seem to do a lot. This, this is going to happen it, a lot. It, it's like it's like it's like it's like a life lesson. Everything can, can be related back to Tottenham yeah. in some way or another. <laughs> like, there's always a lesson to be learned. Yeah, but like Tottenham at the end of last season, you're relying on guys to play well above their level. Eric Dyer, yeah. how good he was at the end of last season, yeah. and then when they start going back towards their actual level as footballers, then you're kind of like, what happened then? But also like, <laughs> yeah, he just he's just that's just who he is. That's just who Eric Dyer is. And it feels like um, people like Drana Chaka have been so good all season. And you're kind of waiting for something because he always does something a wee bit stupid at some point yeah. in every season. There's always a red card. There's always an own goal. There's always it's just something. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was the thing that happened was a lot smaller than the thing that usually happens. He usually mm. kicks someone in the head. This time he just pushed <laughs> someone in the chest. So not as violent as usual. But yeah, that really, um, really changed the game in a lot of ways. Um, brought the Anfield crowd into it and you know, we the players know were differently as well. Like they, they kind of felt right up. Like, okay, you're taking the piss now. We're we're not allowing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, we know what that Liverpool team's like. They they feed off that crowd. They always have the amount of results down the years that that club team has had at Anfield. And by European nights in particular, when the atmosphere is amplified to the next level, it kind of felt like a like a Champions League semi final night at Anfield after that point. And that drove that team forward and they should have beat them at the end up and, and Arsenal came away probably feeling very, very lucky that they weren't beaten. Yeah. And it's a massive credit to Aaron Ramsdale for pulling off to what could be like potentially if they won the league, like two of the greatest saves in Premier League history. That two minutes Both times I thought it was in and I kind of had to sit myself back down just like how... How is it not crossed the line? Yeah, yeah. You could, you could the, tell. The first one, it looked like it was going, the deflection makes makes it loop. And as soon as it loops, you just think it's going to go over the keeper's hand because you're not ready for the loop. Yeah. 
And, he's, and then Kanate is trying so hard not to handle the ball. That he's kind of like, he's doing this chest thing, but he's not got enough power behind it. And he just scampers across and claws it away. And they they needed that because Ramsdale, I'm not a huge fan of Aaron Ramsdale as a goalkeeper because he, he makes you a bit nervous sometimes. He makes some strange decisions and he's not an amazing shot stopper. But he's come up big in some big moments for Arsenal season. And that's exactly what you want from a goalkeeper in a title race like this. You need yeah. them to win you points like that. Yeah. And it feels like every year a goalkeeper will either win you those points or lose you those points. Yeah. And it, it must be good for Arsenal to know that their keepers winning them them points. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you look at Ramsdale, I'm the same as Ramsdale. I think Ramsdale's an, a, like a decent goalkeeper, but not like really... He's not. He's not Peter Smeichel. He's not Daniel <laughs> or anything like that. He's not one of those guys. He's, he's one of the good. top ten in the Prem, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that's rank, like his level, but should rank them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's kind of his level, and um, it, it's very easily like that a game like that could have went the other way, where he made a bit of a fumble and they conceded a goal. But yeah. thankfully, I had the right arm around day and the right day, and he. He made those saves, and you've seen after the game how frustrated Klopp was about the game, and uh, particularly at Kunati for missing that chance after <laughs> after the game. He could not contain himself. He was just like, yeah. "How did he not score? Like, what was he trying to do? <laughs> Why did he not just head it or kick it? Why did he chest it?" Yeah, and it, you know, it, you can tell from that frustration from from Klopp that. Um, that felt like a game that they definitely should have won. And all like yeah. the XG and all was insane. Like their XG was like, yeah, it was like four. <laughs> but like, they scored two. You're like, how does that yeah. happen? And XG is always way less. So that's, yeah, yeah, how, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you see a team one. Like, I think like the, the 7 0, like their XG was like three and a half. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Seven. It's yeah. always around that. So you go the other directions mad. And like looking forward for Arsenal, it seems like. You know, in theory, like that sort of point going away at Anfield and the sort of like kind of dogged performance they had to put in in the second half, they, um, you know, keep, I wouldn't say keep Liverpool at bay because they didn't keep them at bay, but like, you know, <laughs> they not concede three when they, uh, uh, instead of just conceding two. Um, like, um, in theory, that's a really, really good result in performance. But when you look at the games they have coming up, and the fact that they've kind of had one slip up and the fact that it doesn't feel like Man City will ever slip up from now yeah. until the end of the season. They have, they still have to play City, they still have to play Chelsea. Yes, and I know Chelsea are bad, but uh, Arsenal-Chelsea is a derby and they might give a wee bit more, maybe. It's now a, it's now a um, Tuesday night game as well, which I think might add to... Yeah. It's a bit oh, like that. A bit nervous. Uh, We'll bring it by. We'll bring it by the Spurs again. It's it's a, it's a bit like that. That's that Spurs um, Chelsea battle at the Bryce when Chelsea were terrible. It's and on that same day Spurs. as well. Is it? Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. That's mad, right? It's yeah, I think it's meant exactly, to be it's exactly, meant to be. exactly. Yeah. Well, the one that I look at come back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 one that I always look at now is um, Newcastle away for Arsenal. Which I think is a week after that's that Chelsea a tricky game. one. Yeah, that, uh, you think that's where they lost the Champions League place last year. Mm-hmm. You look at Newcastle against Man United recently. You look at that atmosphere. You imagine Newcastle are going to still be fighting for a top four place when that happens. They're still going to be right up for that. Arsenal this season, they've gone into these big places, these big atmospheres, and haven't really performed. You think that might, that might happen at City? You might. They might just write off City like we're not. We're, we're not beating this super team. But they need to get others. 
you need to beat new you need to get something out of Newcastle. And I th- and I think as well, I've been part- partly trying to jinx it, partly because I'm scared of them. I've been really high on how good Arsenal have been this season and how good Arteta has been. But he made some strange decisions in that Liverpool game, bringing on Kirill for yeah. at least at least 15 minutes, mm-hmm. going to that back five, don't not bringing Tierney on before he did. Um, I understand why he took off Erdegaard because he wasn't contributing anything at all. But that, at the end of the day, that is just still your captain. And it, it, it's similar to when he made the substitutions away at Man United earlier in the season when they lost three one. He went gung ho way too early. He like the team just needed a bit of kind of just hold on a little bit longer, wait a little bit longer. You don't need to throw yourself into it. And I thought that was kind of telling. Is that you know is this his inexperience as the main guy showing a little bit that he's rushing himself into these decisions? I think like we go back to um, what we were saying about Napoli earlier on the podcast about how they don't really have players that have been in this position before. And um, yeah. the big issue for um, Arsenal is they also don't have a manager that's really been in these positions before. Um, like Arteta, a good player as he was, um, you know, he wasn't he wasn't uh, part of those Spanish teams that won the World Cup, that won the European Championships and stuff. And yeah, he yeah. won a few trophies for Arsenal, but he was never um, a player who was like really heavily involved in a title risk that Arsenal won. Ever the stakes have um, never been this high for him personally. Never, and it's a lot of it's going to be dictated about how he deals with it. And I remember thinking um, during the game as well when they when they reverted that back five, there was a bit of yeah. a lull, like a bit of a, like a five minute period where Liverpool didn't look as um, effective going forward, mm. and they they changed their back five, and then I think immediately, basically from the next kickoff, uh, Darwin Nunez went straight through. And and K- when Kivior steps up as well, it's like the first thing he does is like, oh yeah, my God. first thing he does is step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be fair to him, he picked a good player to do it against because Darwin was never going to score. <laughs> like still. But you still don't want to do it. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. It's like, settle down, calm down. It's just, uh, yeah, and you're, you're, like, you're bringing on him who's like not played that much football for the club anyways in general. And uh, whereas like in that situation, he would want to be bringing on a guy who's been there and done it and can kind of be a cool head in that situation. And they just yeah. don't have that at the back. They don't have that experience. Their most experienced player at the back is Rob Holden. Um, who's, <laughs> oh I don't know. God. I think most of his experience... Yeah, I think most of his experience... His experience of getting last year. Yeah, that was his last start, nothing. wasn't it? Was that his last start oh. for Arsenal? Away? I think it was, the one he got oh sent off. Oh, God, really? Jesus. I think it was, yeah. And then his next start away from home was... Um, Giving away a penalty at Anfield, so yeah. it's a good track record. Good track record, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, because Arsenal dropped down to two, I'm pretty sure everyone knows who's number one. We've talked about them a lot in this podcast. Mm. Sean Tottenham Hotspur, number one. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good win over Brighton, you know. Oh, gosh, what a performance! Great, just, just, the, just the five decisions of VR got wrong, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you take them. <laughs> you take yeah. them. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's not it's not actually Tottenham. Don't worry. Yeah, Don't worry. It's it's Manchester City. Yeah. The buzzsaw just taking apart everything in their path right now. I was so impressed with how they played against Bayern Munich. I like when Bayern sacked Nagelsmann to bring in Thomas Tuchel. I thought you're showing that you want to win the Champions League now. You this is the guy who has been a kind of thorn in City side who. Turned Chelsea immediately from 
this middling mid-table team into Champions League winners in the same season, five months apart. I understand why you have done this. Um, when you look at the way that Bayern set up, it was very not like his Chelsea teams at all. It was way more kind of attacking. That might just be because of the composition of the players that he's got. Played 4-2-3-1. Uh, it felt like they tried to go to Toa City. And if you try and go to Toa City, that's never actually a good thing. Um, Tuchel cool hangs a lot on the fact that Rodri scored an unbelievable first goal to break the deadlock and that changes the game. But I didn't know Rodri could do that with his weak foot. I don't think he did either. He looked really awkward doing it as well. It was, yeah. how, how did he kick the ball again and it went that far? Like he scored his Achilles while doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Never kicked a ball that hard in my life. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I've been very critical of the way Man City spend their five hundred billion pounds in the transfer market because they buy players that maybe aren't worth it. I don't know they they brought in Nathan Ake before they brought in Manuel Kanji this year. To their credit, outstanding on Tuesday night. Yeah, really, really good Ake. performances. Thought Ake yeah, was Ake. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. It's like, mad. yeah, like like I don't want to give Pep credit for just like buying these expensive players, but he he actually does make them better. Ake, Ake, you know, we were talking about Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. Ake was there, conceding eight goals a season as the senior defender. Now he's completely locking up Kingsley Coman. He got absolutely nothing out of him. Coman could not do it. Um, You'd have forgot Coman was on. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Akanji, apart from a 10 minute spell where Sane um, was looking threatening, really, really imposing as well. John Stones continuing his really, really good form over the last two or three months. Stepping into midfield, playing alongside Rodri. Um, Ruben Diaz didn't start the season a lot. Um, Pep just does it with his players because he does. They have the quality to do it. They're able to rotate players in and out. And you mentioned earlier about Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva. Like, didn't miss a beat. Mahrez has been one of the best players in the Premier over the last couple of months. Bernardo Silva hasn't really got a look in. Came in, reminded everyone why exactly he was so highly rated. Um, Haaland, I thought, was really interesting in that. He got a lot of touches. He's usually somebody who's not really involved in play, but he got a lot of touches first 60, 70 minutes. But he made Bayern Munich so nervous. He really kind of forced Mipamecano, De Ligt, Pavard, Afonso Davies, Jan Sommer in goal into these errors. And this, I can see it now. I see this is the team that Pepin is trying to build. Jack Grealish as well. I know you're not very fond of him as a <laughs> Irish traitor, but looking Good like someone full, of... <laughs> someone full of confidence. He's got his he's got his kind of mojo back. Um, it, I've written this before. In these Champions League quarterfinals, the, the place that you want to be playing, the games are so high quality. But to get wins, to get big wins like this, you need every single player to step up, and every single play, City player has stepped up over the last couple of weeks. Like even even Ederson made a couple of really good saves in that yeah. game too. And when you yeah. look at the scoreline, you wouldn't really think he was particularly needed, but he was needed at times in that game where yeah. they were under a wee bit of cost because, like you said, like this Bayern team aren't a bad football team by any no, sense of my exactly, exactly. They're a pretty good team. That what they're lacking is um like you've seen it with McCann at the back, you've seen it with um Serge Napi up front. The things that they're lacking are the two players that they've lost over the past couple of seasons. They don't have David Alaba. They don't have Robert Lewandowski, <laughs> and those players are pretty much impossible to, to forget. Replace. That they didn't have Eric Maxim Chu promoting. I know Chippo Goten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they actually did miss him because they really missed just having a natural striker. Gnabry couldn't really do it; he got kind of drowned out. 
Mana came on, did nothing, and then punched Leroy Sonny in the dressing room after, and now that's a whole big thing as well. <laughs> this is what Man City have done. Man City have turned Bayern into turmoil. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, like you said, like I think I think the the big the big takeaway from me from this game was um, yeah, Haaland's overall play. He scored a lot of goals this season, like an outrageous amount of goals. Like they can't even count how many goals he scored. Number of goals <laughs> yeah. they scored this season, but and he scored hat tricks and all, and you know. He scored, he scored. He scored five against Leipzig, but I think yeah. overall this was probably his best performance for Man City so far because yeah. of, like you said, just how much he scared that defense and how much he was able to stretch that defense with his runs on behind. His hold up play was great, and that ball that he played for Bernardo Silva's goal blindly. Yeah, I, I could. I thought he was going to shoot. And so he does I, that, I and I'm, believe and I'm like, yeah. Sometimes I watched like a game either in TV or in person, and I'll just go. Like a bit like Gary Neville goes, oh, just like no. just completing all those, like yeah, just ridiculous because the ball didn't even seem like it was on or possible. I thought, no, he, I didn't. Yeah. I was like, he's gonna he's gonna shoot, and then when he crossed, I was like, well, he's well over had that cross. The ball, <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. Then Bernardo comes in and heads it, and I was like, okay, like, this guy's yeah, like, like he's he's always been legit, but like his overall game, I feel like everything really came together. Um that game for him and uh, the difference that he made to that Man City team when he's playing like that and when he was playing when he's playing the way I'd assume that Pep has always wanted him to play this season and when he can play like that then that Man City team they look impossible to beat I don't no yeah. team in Europe beats that team they just don't there's no competing like Rainbow's are a brilliant team but if they come up against a City team that played that well and have everyone playing that well at the same time in the semifinals They'll get blown away too. No one's competing with that team. And the big, the big, big difference between um, City at the start of the season and as, at now at this point in the season is Pep has conjured up this mental formation, this formation <laughs> that you would look at on paper yeah. and think, is this a formation from like 1930s when they used to play? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, exactly. Two yeah. five four or something yeah. like that. There, it's it looks like a formation like that. And it, I remember the first time I think I was covering the game. They played it um, on a Sunday at the, um, I think, oh, I can't remember what team it was. It was someone bad. They were playing like Leicester. Mm-hmm. I think it was Leicester. Actually, I think it was Leicester. And it was the first time I've seen that formation. They were playing like this 3 2 4 1, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And Bernardo Silva was playing deeper at this point, And he's now playing outright instead and works a lot better there, obviously. But yeah, you've seen the seeds of that formation. And they really retain the ball really well and also have a lot more defensively. And I think he's been trying to reach for this perfect formation at City for so long that he can lean on. And you've seen it in Champions League games and stuff where he's kind of reverted to some madness at times that's broken the team. Um, and now I feel like you go on to one of these big games and because of this setup and how much is getting out of players like Bernardo Silva on the right, Jack Reilly's on the left, one of the biggest um, components of it is how good Gundogan's been because you're playing uh, completely he has he strengths. He's such a great player, yeah. Talking earlier about uh, Bruno Gimaraes, Gundogan, similar, does everything to yeah, the very highest well. level. Yeah. Unbelievable. You can see exactly why he's a captain of that team. He's yeah. He's a typical uh, Pep player um, for this kind of higher-pressing, aggressive type of football he started to play recently, particularly in the Champions yeah. League. And it feels like going into big games, there's always the concern of like, what's Pep going to do? But I know, like going on the uh, if if all these players are fit 
I know that going into a semi-final against Real Madrid or going into a final against Inter, Milan, Benfica, Napoli, they're going to play this team. This is the team. I see the vision now, yeah. Yeah, this is the team you have to play and this is the team I think he will play. And for that reason, on this form, it's really hard to look past them for any competition, be it the Champions League, be it the Premier League. And, you know, it's hard. It must be really hard for Arsenal fans knowing that you can be this good and still not be yeah. as good as Man City and be good exactly. enough to win the Premier League. It's like it's like Liverpool fans must be watching it and have that uh, James Franco meme from Ballad of Busker Scrolls just at the ready in their Twitter drafts. <laughs> like, first time? Is this the first time you've done this? <laughs> yeah. Because they've had the same thing for so long. It's like you can go and you can get 97 points, but you're still not going to get the 98, 99 yeah, points. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, uh, I, I actually think I, I tweeted this after the game. I think that was Man City's most important Champions League win. I know they got to the final, they beat PSG twice home and away. It was a, it was a decent cha- uh, PSG team, but I think they were in a bit of transition when they brought in Poch and stuff. They were second in Ligue 1. But I think, in terms of the expectation of Tuchel raising that Bayern team's kind of streetwise levels, um, City just generally floundering on big Champions League nights. The way that they just blew Bayern away, I thought this is it. This is the peak of Man City in Europe, and that they can still go and, you know, if they go to the next round, knock out Real Madrid, that'll probably be the next in line for this. And if they go to the final, win win, win the final, that's it. But it feels like I, I don't want to say that they figured it out because it feels like we say that every year, and then they, something happens. But there is reason for Man City fans to believe that this is the year that it, it all clicks. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the year that um, you can more definitively say that they've worked on it out with the most confidence yeah. I can say that they've worked on it out because I don't see the same deficiencies as you see other times where they like just they, said, tactically they look, stuff. Yeah, they look I think the one thing I noticed is they look way, way more comfortable when, um, when defending counterattacks and transitions. They look way better at that. I think that's partly because they play four centre-backs and they just know Wes be on the pitch, like I think Pep said before, like he doesn't trust Kyle Walker to play that kind of role anymore. Um, so it feels like they figured that out. It feels like he is thinking more about, okay, how do we stop that from happening? And, you know, fair enough. A lot of managers wouldn't pro- try and do that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it, it, one, one thing that's really, really obvious with, um, with City is how like the buy-in of players has been so obvious. I, I think at, in defence, they have players without much of an ego like Nathan Ake and John Stones and all are still like in a position where they have to prove themselves and have to kind of bend their managers well but also like further up, up the pitch like you said like you have Rio Mara's playing brilliantly and you know Bernardo Silva could have very easily thrown a strap about that and then but when he comes in he's as level-headed and professional as ever arguably yeah. the best player in the pitch on Tuesday night and you know that Mara is not playing that game, won't throw a strap about not playing that game. <laughs> He'll play at the weekend and be one of the yeah, best exactly. And it's that's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's us. That's our 10. That's our 10 for this yeah, week. Yeah. I'm quite happy with it. I think it's quite a good 10. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. It's gonna change so much next week. It's gonna be completely <laughs> Yeah. And all, all the good, for, yeah. 
all the good that we've said about these teams will be all washed away next week with one defeat. And that's the beauty yeah, of it. I see losers of the weekend. Uh, they've thrown it away again. Terrible. <laughs> Pep's never been that good. I, I, don't, I don't read this Haaland, boy. He's not that good. Yeah. I knew Nathan Aki was never going to be a good footballer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, all, it's all coming. It's all in the burner. So, Sean, to finish up with, um, we're going to go away over the weekend and we'll keep an eye on as much football around Europe as we can. And there's a few different teams that we're going to be keeping a particular eye on who just about didn't make the top 10 this week, mm. but might be there next week. Sean, who do we have? I think the first obvious pick is Napoli. Yes. Runaway Serie A leaders can always bounce back. If Ossiman's back for that Milan game, you probably back them to turn it around and that'd be a big result for them. Sizable result in the kind of the history of that club. Um, and gives us a good reason to kind of talk about the good that they've done this season because there's been a lot of good. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good. And keeping in Italy, um, also have Inter. They were very close to making it this mm. week. And then we remembered about how quite bad they've been in Syria <laughs> the last few months. They've actually been really bad. They've, uh, they've had great chances to kind of lock up second spot and then just haven't really done it. Yeah, just kind of wilted under that pressure. So it was it was a big surprise that they won um, at the weekend uh, yeah. in midweek. Sorry, it was a big big surprise to me. Yeah. Certainly, <laughs> I haven't watched them against like Salernitana and all recently. They yeah, hurt. but you know, a couple more wins, and if they qualify for the Champions League semi final, then you probably yeah. have to be in the top ten if you're a Champions League semi finalist. And in the same uh, uh, game, uh, we'll also be keeping an eye on Benfica. They had they were winning basically every game for the past like four or five months and then lost their two biggest games of the season so far over the past week. So keeping an eye on them to see if they can bounce back. And over in Germany, Sean, we have one Ooh, yeah. team that we're very, very close to getting in this week. And who are they, Sean? The hipster pick. Jabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen who have really kind of put it together. They've gone on a really great run. Um, yeah, seven ones in a row. Yeah, and he's looked more into that. You know, he's, he's kind of in that Arteta, Xavi mould. They came They came through around the same time in the same kind of systems. Probably have the same, yeah. similar kind of footballing education with Pep and stuff. So Good luck in Spanish, man, yeah. with tactical <laughs> acumen. Yeah, I need, to, I need to do some research into Xavi Alonso's by Leverkusen. It's really interesting. Man. Yeah, we'll keep, keep an eye out for them at the weekend too. And we'll be back next week. So we will talk in more shop, talking about more teams and, you know, hopefully slagging off a few more teams. I think we were very nice today, yeah. I think. Um, you know, next week yeah. a couple of teams will drop down the list and we'll have some harsh words to say about yeah. them. Yeah. Imagine. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, un- until then, uh keep an eye out um on nightyman.com for all your lists, particularly this one. This will be on the website as well. Uh transfer news, general news. All and if you've come this stuff. far in the podcast, please let us know and let us know what you think. Because this is the first show that we're doing of yeah. this. So and it's been a long one. It has been a long one. It's been a really long one. I was kind of like, I wonder how long we can talk about yeah. all this. <laughs> We've talked for a very long time. Long time. So, yeah, God, God love you. This is probably the longest. This might end up <laughs> the longest uh, episode of anything on yeah. the yeah. Like, podcast. Like, hey, look, we, we like talking football with each other, and hopefully, people like hearing us talk football with each other. That is that's the hope. Like. That's, a, that's the hope. That's, that's the, the dream. dream. We can dream. We can dream. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 